Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. The U.S. Open tur- Golf Tournament is finally here. It is out of Torrey Pines in California. We have the first round coming up on Thursday. I want to get you a preview of it a little later than usual, but some scheduling issues on my end. I want to be joined again by our golf guy, Dan Martin. We're going to break down the U.S. Open, talk about some big golf storylines, give you some tips on the tournament. That's coming up in just a bit. Make sure you're walking to the end of the show for this two-minute drill. I'm going to talk about the French Open, what happened there. Some big storylines on the court. A bigger one off the court. I will break it all down for you as well. But we'll get all started with our opening tip. We're going to take a look at what's happening to the Brooklyn Nets. And there is some trouble. That's coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time, talking about the Brooklyn Nets. And I have to say, when I first planned on doing a Nets spot here at the top of the show, I was playing, you know, okay, as soon as after game two, this is looking great. They're going to cruise past the Bucks. We're going to start walking down how they're going to deal with the Sixer, who's going to defend Joel Embiid, how fast things can change in the playoffs. And this is a series right now that is very heavily in favor of the Bucks, which seems almost impossible from where we started this. Go back to last Thursday night. Nets jump out early, but they had trouble scoring. The Bucs get an ugly defensive game. The Nets still are down a point. Have a chance to grab the lead in the final seconds. And the execution of the game was very poor. Kevin Durant, who is the biggest star on the team, on the floor, did not take a shot. Kyrie Irving, also on the floor, did not take a shot. Joe Harris, excellent shooter, did not take a shot. The final shot of the game was Bruce Brown, who had played well at that point, driving the lane for a contested layup against Drew Holiday and did not happen. That's one that you let slip away. At the time, you say, oh, no big deal. The Bucks won ugly. We'll bounce back in game four. You got to get those and you can because here's what happens in Game four. Nets come out hot. Bucks go on a big 21-4 run. But the big problem, Kyrie Irving rolls his right ankle, uh, landing awkwardly on Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is now out for game five. James Harden still out for game five. Irving left the arena in a walking boot on crutches. Doesn't sound like you're going to see him anytime soon. Maybe you get Harden for game six. But the Nets are in big trouble right now. Durant's got to do a 2007 LeBron James trying to drag a Cavaliers team with Sadrunas Ogowskis as his second-best player to the finals. Getting out of this round is going to be very hard because Joe Harris has been, not been good. The shots are not falling for him. He looks scared of the moment. 
we have issues with the sporting cast. You guys like your Bruce Browns, your Landry Shamets, your Mike James. Those guys now have to play bigger roles. And that is quite problematic. The Nets right now are in a situation where this series could end by Thursday. If James Harden is not on the floor in Milwaukee on Thursday night, this series could well be over. Kevin Durant's got to be Superman to carry this team. And two, three years ago, I'd say, sure, he could do that. But right now, when he's the only guy on this team, he has no real supporting cast behind him, and he's coming off an Achilles injury, that's a lot to ask. He'll give it a great try, but the Nets are going to be in a game that's tighter. They're not going to be able to outscore, outscore the Bucs. The Bucs are a defensive team. This is tight. This is going to be a very, very disappointing finish. And the Nets end up going out because their two big guys got injured. This is the year where the Lakers got knocked out the first round. So you don't have to worry about LeBron James. This is a year where the East is wide open. The 76ers are very good, but they are not the typical dominant team atop the East. The Bucs are not as good as they were in the last couple of years. This looked like the year for Brooklyn to easily win the NBA title and have the parade down Flatbush Avenue. Instead, they may be going home, which is a bitter, bitter disappointment and really raises that pressure for next year when after that season, Kevin Durant can opt out. Kyrie can opt out. James Harden, I think, is in the same kind of boat. So this could be a win or bust year for Brooklyn. So we will see what happens here. But a lot of pressure on them these next couple of days trying to find a way to win this series, get into the conference finals, and figure out a way to just stay afloat for two, and win two more games. Remember, though, if they win game three, they only going to need one, which is much easier to pull off than two with a JV squad. But up next, we're going to take dive into the U.S. Open with Dan Marti right after this. Bryson DeChambeau is indeed a U.S. Open champion at Wingfoot. All right, we are back here talking U.S. Open golf on the podcast. Joining me today, our favorite PGA Tour professional, Dan DiBartini is here. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great, Mike. I'm glad to be back. Another major is here, so happy to talk some golf with you. I have to say, in terms of the golf world, I, as a casual like myself, there's been so much happening in the golf world outside the majors. I've actually been able to pay attention to some of these big storylines. So you want to start with some of this stuff? Sure. I mean, rapid fire. I mean, even the casual sport fan has probably been uh, seeing some headlines lately. So happy to go through. All right. Let's start with the big one. John Rahm getting pulled from Memorial because he tested positive for COVID on the course. Obviously brutal for him. Cost him in the lead by six strokes. Cost himself $1.4 million. Right? He would have won, just, I think he wins that tournament pretty easily. He finished it. I think you would agree with that. Just talk a little bit about how crazy that was. Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy thing, especially working kind of in the testing realm for the PGA Tour, which is part of my responsibilities. Um, I was not at Muirfield Village. Um, thank You know, I was kind of having an off week in terms of some responsibilities, but uh, and I kind of deal with more of the families than the players themselves. But um, it was definitely a, a tough, tough go. Um, and, you know, a lot of mixed opinions online of whether or not that, you know, he should have been removed from the field or this or that, but at the end of the day, um, and, and, you know, the PJ tour statement that was put out was extremely accurate and, um, and it is what it is. I mean, 
there was a, a concern that potentially he had been in contact with somebody that was uh, diagnosed with COVID-19. So there was a risk. He felt fine, uh, no symptoms, but at the same time, like enough where we had to do the test as soon as it came back, it was looked at. Um, it was tested then again to make sure that it was valid uh, as a positive result for, the, for uh, COVID-19 and it came back that way. So as soon as those results came through, they went and grabbed them and, and told them we gotta leave. So all the players, since we've started, if you look at the percentage of the amount of players who have tested positive and had to been removed from competition, it is a minuscule amount compared to how many tests, how many people who have gone out now and been vaccinated. I mean, the amount of players that participate every week, the only reason that this has come up is because he was in the lead and it was a big, and you know, that circumstance of think about how many tournaments we've run since COVID broke out. I mean, we've been back playing golf, you know, full competitions, you know, really since the end of last May. So, you know, the PGA tour, you know, not to, you know, drink from the own Kool-Aid here, but you know, I think we've done an amazing job getting to this point. And John knew the risk. All the players know the risk. It, it, it was agreed upon by the, you know, the player council that basically if you come, uh, you are at risk to be removed from competition if you test positive within our testing pro protocols. So it's unfortunate, but that's why John didn't come out and he wasn't like, you know, oh, they pulled me out. No, he, he knew what he was walking into, that if you, you got it, uh, you were exposed to it there was a risk that this could happen. So it's just really sad. It's just a shame because, you know, he deserved to win. Um, you know, I don't think that that's saying anything inappropriate. I mean, he was leading the tournament. He was playing great. Um, and I think that though it's a, it's a real learning experience for a lot of other people and it makes them think, you know, okay, do I, I gotta be a little more protective maybe of my bubble. Um, if I feel like I've got a real chance, you know, to, to be competitive this week on tour. So you know, definitely sent some shockwaves uh, across the the player front. Yeah, I believe I, remember, I saw that one thing was like it's four positive tests total that had people pulled from the tournaments, which is actually pretty impressive considering how many golfers play in these fields. And I will say also, as far as John, uh, it, it's over 130 yeah. in most weeks. Yeah. Um, and so, and those are all the people coming through. And that's almost every, I mean, think about how many tests that is for how many, we've had over 50 events, you know. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, but that's just my spiel. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a spiel quick too. I know you're not going to say anything because you're officially working for the tour, so you can't really say stuff. But my point is like, and you think about John Ron's experience, and it's tough for tough break rain lives losing losing the tournament that way. And it's something if I'm on the tour and I've not gotten my shot yet, I'd be thinking, hmm, maybe I should get one. But I'm going to put that out there. I'm not going to make you comment on that. I'm just going to say that's my that's my personal spiel. But let's get it's a fair. It's a fair viewpoint, Mike. Yeah. It's something I would consider considering I could cost myself $1.4 million. That's something I would think strongly about. Something to think about. Something to think about. Something else I want to, I want to explain to me because I've seen this on the periphery. I never, don't really understand this. Can you tell me what exactly this feud is between Brooks, uh, Brooks Kappa and Bryson DeChambeau? Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's obviously, um, you know, I tend to be on the, the side of, of commissioner Monaghan um, in terms of, you know, obviously, you know, some people feel as those there that, you know, any press, uh, good press for golf, the healthy competition, you know, not everybody should be just best buds out there. And, um, you know, it's good to have kind of rivals this and that, but once again, these, these headlines really are taken away from the fact of 
that we've been back out doing amazing things, supporting charities, getting, you know, working with our sponsors to keep the, the validity and the, the greatness of the events going um, and, and still being able to make contributions and doing great things. But at the end of the day, from a pure interest in the sports standpoint, Brooks and Bryson not necessarily liking each other has definitely brought in um, a lot of comp. You know, I guess at least really invigorated the golf world. It it it's cool to see at least people kind of either picking a side or, um, you know, making a statement that they think maybe behind it all. But in short. It sounds like, you know, the two of them have had some, it, some of the issues that have come up. I don't, we don't want to take a side here on either one, but there's been some slow play um, uh, concerns. There's been some conversations about, you know, technique and, and training methods and things like that, that have come up between the two. And um, I think that there's been just a, a healthy rivalry. Brooks is a big, strong, young guy. Bryson's a big, strong, young guy. Um, they're both winning, uh, big time events. Uh, they both are alpha males. Um, so at some point when you've got an alpha here and an alpha here, and one does it this way and one does it this way, and then eventually they're going to be compared against each other. It's it, you know, you know, it's a, it's, it's a pot that's, it's heading towards an overflow and a boil. Right. So I just think that it's uh, really cool to see everybody saw the video that came out that was leaked, um, you know, of Brooks, obviously seeing Bryson come at him and do the eye roll. And, um, you know, you, you have to wonder how many other uh, feuds there may be out there. Uh, that one just unfortunately did get leaked out, um, but it's been budding. I mean, there's plenty of articles. I won't go into comment on it, but if you type in Brooks, Bryson, feud uh into google you can see some interesting articles uh of other little tidbits that maybe show you why this has gotten to this point i don't really care about the off the course stuff as much as seeing more of the on course stuff uh i would love 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 to see them you know kind of in a final pairing the feel that tension of two people who aren't best buddies um that aren't going to be waiting for each other after the final round to give them a high five. So I, I personally, uh, I, I think it is fun. Yeah. I think personally, I, I know that it, these guys have won a lot. I mean, obviously I think they combined between them and won the last three U S open. So if I was the USGA, I would be very tempted for my T range to say, what, put them together the first two rounds. See what happens. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Why not? I think that everybody's expecting it. So yeah. And speaking of the U.S. Open, where we're going this year, we're going to Torrey Pines. Last played there in 2008 was the Maribel Tiger winning on one knee tournament. So what can you tell you about this course? Well, yeah, well, and, and folks that, you know, watch a lot that are PGA Tour kind of lifers or hardcore fans uh, know this is where we also play the Farmers Insurance Open. Um, it, that event is played over the north course and the south course at Torrey Pines. Um, this is just a, on the south course. So that's kind of important to know. Um Kind of just some of the big factors about Torrey Pines for people that aren't that familiar. Um, you know, let me even back it up before even the course. It's it's the U.S. Open, right? The USGA loves to make the the course difficult. Uh, this is not an event where it's going to be like you know the winner is going to be twenty two under par. It's not going to happen. Um, they pride themselves on being able really difficult pin positions really difficult course conditions. I don't know if anybody saw like Xander Shoffley's Twitter this week. He did a thing where he was standing, uh, it was, sorry, it was last week where he was doing a practice round out there 
and he literally like kind of had his ball dropped in the rough behind the 18th green. And like, you could barely see his ankles, like his feet were that low, the rough, that high, that thick, like the ball just like disappears. So if you can get yourself into some really difficult conditions, but those are U S open conditions, you know, historically, if you're four under, you had a chance to win at the U S open. So very different from, uh, you know, obviously what we had at Palmetto and some of the other tournaments, uh, recently where guys were in the, you know, mid teens, um, and, you know, but I think it's, it's also a fun challenge. Guys know what you're getting into. You're going to win a major championship. Um, Torrey Pines is one of those courses where driving distance on the PGA tour always matters, right? Like the guys that hit the furthest, you know, statistically have the best chance to score. Um, this course, you, if you're just off, you know, I, I was actually, believe it or not, I was talking to my dad before this and he's played the course. So I got a little bit more insider knowledge. He said to me, he goes, you know, Dan, you can, if you're just off the fairway, you're going to be okay. But if you're not hitting that drive, you can hit it far, but if you're having a tough day, keeping it within maybe 20 yards of the middle of the fairway, kind of going in and out, you're going to get in some really tricky spots. Um, the course is set up in a way where, you know, it's going to be beautiful weather. The wind really shouldn't be that much of a factor, he said. Um, but really it's going to come down to, you know, going, getting yourself out there far enough to shot shape and put yourself in position to putt. The greens are very different from, from East coast greens and, and Florida greens. It's a different type of grass. Um, there are some players historically who don't necessarily play as much of, of the California events uh, and, and the West coast events. Uh, but there are a lot of players in the field. If you're looking at the odds lists that, you know, are from California and have some experience uh, playing those courses. So it's really going to come down to style uh, and, and guys that her historically put it out and are safe, um, you know, hit a lot of, of fairways and regulation and greens and reg. Those are the guys that are going to give themselves the best chance to at least keep it under par. I really think that it's um, the people that are more like they could shoot 10 under or 10 over. Those are the guys I'm going to stay away from. I'm going to kind of go with the guys that might just go out and shoot one under might two under on Friday, maybe one under on set, you know, the guys that are consistently their, their margin of error is smaller because they're more consistent. They can make their par on the tough hole and move on to the next one. You know, those are the kinds of guys I'm looking at for this week. Yeah, it makes some sense. And I want to start with some of the big names here. I think we start with our feuding pair here of Bryson and Brooks. And I feel like of the two, I mean, they've won three of the past four opens. Based on the way you were described, I feel like Brooks is a better shot here than Bryson does. I feel like Bryson's gains a little more high variance for the course. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm done picking against Brooks. Um, I have, uh, you know, anytime it's a major, I'm, I, I'm picking, you know, I'm going high on Brooks Kepka. Um, uh, you know, haven't haven't just seen enough of uh, 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 consistency really with Bryson lately to feel as strong as I do with Brooks. I mean, Brooks is a guy that every time I'm just like, man, he really hasn't been playing that well or this and that. He gets up for these big events, right? I mean, we see it all the time. He won't have as much consistency or and he's not like finishing in the top 10, but boom, it's a big important event. And there's Brooks at the top of the leaderboard. So feel very strongly uh, that I'm, I think I've called it the right time on him. Yeah, it's a good one to watch here. Another one to watch here, obviously, Phil Mickelson. Because the historic PGA win, oldest man ever to win a major. And then he's come awfully close to his open. He's finished second here six times over the years. So 
you know, he, that's the one he needs to get the career Grand Slam. Do you think he's got a shot here? You feel like he had his best, his, his magic card right at, at, the, at the PGA? So if there was, if you were looking at kind of all the factors behind somebody that's due for a big finish, he's, he, he's played great in recent months. Um, he's from the area. He knows the course extremely well. This is basically like a home, home event for him. Um, while he doesn't have historically great finishes in playing the course in recent tour history, doesn't that kind of make you feel like he's, he's due for a, a big finish? Um, he's, he's having a lot of fun playing golf right now. Like when I watch Phil play golf, he seems really happy. Um, and I, and I think it's great for the game. He's bringing in a lot of like Phil fans back out there and people are enjoying golf, being outdoors, coming to the event, yelling, go Phil. Um, why not, why not ride, ride the Phil train at the moment and just, and just, hope that he does extremely well and he can finish off what's an amazing career. So uh, very much high on Phil as well. There, I We're going to get into this. I'm having a really hard time finding like a true favorite coming into the event. So why not just go with your gut and, and take some of the bigger names and say, you know, it's anybody's game this time. It's not like, you know, this is a, a week or, you know, Rory's won the last, you know, two out of the last four events. He's the hot hand coming in. I, I really with Rom's situation at Memorial, uh, I think it I re- it really opens up for anyone's to to be a favorite. Yeah, another guy well, under the radar here. If he's been playing better of league, he was a big deal back in fifteen. He was winning a bunch of majors and he lost the game for a bit. Jordan Spieth, what do you think about him this week? Yeah, I mean Jordan's game is perfect for this. Um, it's going to come down to putting, um, as it always does for Jordan and, and he's really figured out the driver and he, and he's shaping with his irons. I mean, I don't know if anybody's been watching, but whenever they do the, um, whenever the camera uh, crew and the, and the, uh, the audio folks that are out, the media team, uh, on the course catches him talking to Michael Greller, his, his caddy, it's kind of fun to listen. And he's so scientific about a lot of the things he's so dialed into the exact number and the shot shape. And, it's fun to see old Jordan back and it seems like he's also having fun. So once again, hard to say to pick against um, to Jordan as well. I'm sorry. I can't give you more of a hot take here, but those three guys are, I, are really the ones that, you know, right now, I think that you could not be wrong if, if as saying that's your pick, you know, I, I think he's due. And I think he's ready for the stage. I think he's had some, um, bad experiences with the U S open. And I think he's ready to get back at it and, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a leaderboard that has him at like two, three under, and he's right in the mix. Yeah, that's, that sounds like an interesting play there. I think also, this is also an event prior to, I'd say, the Brooks era, where he was made himself have constant presence at the top of the leaderboard. This is because the, this is the major where somebody who basically is really on League would come out because it's such a tough setup to play. You have to be really on your game to win. You get these unheralded guys to win. Who are some under-the-radar candidates you think could have a good weekend? So, uh, Tory Pines. Yeah, you know, more of the names that I feel like we've been seeing in these big tournaments, um, more seasoned players, uh, Louis Oosthuizen, um, guys like Justin Rose. My dad really likes Webb Simpson. He was talking about it. But those those kinds of guys that are consistent, they might not come out and shoot nine under in a round like a Dustin Johnson. They don't have the game necessarily for that but they can consistently shoot two, three under for three days and boom, you know, they're at nine under. 
uh, going into Sunday and that's enough to win. So guys like that um, are, are interesting to me. Um, you know, Colin Morikawa, um, Xander Shoffley, some of the younger guys that have game that fit that way. I think that they're very much in the mix as well. Um, I have a hard time choosing kind of a, a, a really lesser known name. I I'm pretty certain that with the guys that are in the field, with, with where this game, this, with where Tory Pines is kind of, um, and where people have been recently playing, I think the guys have been really focused on, Oh, I've got, you know, Tory Pines coming. Let me get my game in shape for this. I think guys are going to come in realizing that, you know, Tiger's not in the field. Um, it's really anybody's game. So I think that you're going to get some big names uh, in the top 10. Yeah. So if we were right now, say Dan's picks to win are who are your top like handful guys, maybe those three you mentioned earlier, the Phil, like Brooks, Spieth trio, which add some, add some, I, guy to that. I would go, I, you're, you're right. I think I, I'll give you, I'll give you three and my sleeper. I'll say, I'll say Brooks, Jordan, Xander Shoffley and Louis Oosthuizen as my sleeper. Yeah, those are some interesting picks right there. I mean, it's fun to see what happens with the U.S. Open this week. Since we have you on, also you're a Marvel guy. I'll take a few minutes to talk about the Loki mirror. I, I did the full podcast last week. You got a pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rhodes. So I need to do go plot by plot. What do you generally think of the show? I, I was pleasantly surprised. I had big expectations for it. Loki is such a you know, loved villain, but he's not really a villain. And I love the angle that they took. We all knew that like at some point they were going to have to address like what happened to Loki when he grabbed the Tesseract. So um, I, I just thought, I think the number one thing that stood out to me was Owen Wilson <laughs> uh, as Mobius. Um, I just, I didn't think that that was the right character when I saw him in all the promos with the mustache and this and that. I'm like, oh, geez, they brought Owen Wilson into the Marvel universe. Like, I don't know if that's really a fit. Every time I see him, I just go, wow. You know, like yeah. I, I can't, I can't get over his kind of quirkiness, but I thought he was very good with, um, with Loki in the, you know, the, their, bond uh right off the bat and they're kind of back and forth i thought he was un owen wilson like i guess is the best way i can put it so i was pleasantly pleased with the casting i thought the idea was cool we're finally addressing the multiverse we're, we're addressing time um and and you know that that what is the the ancient timeline that focus timeline and and is it the right thing um and, you know, obviously Loki has essentially been recruited to, uh, you know, go after Loki. So it's kind of a, an interesting take. I'm not sure exactly where else we're going to go. Is it going to be like Captain uh, America and, or, or I'm sorry, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which we just saw, which is they really kind of stretch some of these sl small subplots. And then all of a sudden the last episode came and it was just like, boom, 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 we're done. Uh, this feels like it's more of what we've wanted, like kind of more like WandaVision, where it's setting us, it's moving the plot back in the way that we want, which will then lead us towards, um, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So this feels more like, okay, we're getting a plot that's going to get us somewhere and not just kind of address, you know, issues and, you know, some smaller character plots and things like that. 
So I was excited uh, and really enjoyed it. And every time you see, you know, Tom out there, he's just so good at the character and he can just pick it right back up. And he's he's a star. He absolutely is. I mean, I, I went into more detail last week with some of my plot points. I mean, if you want to go back and listen to it, people who have not listened to it yet, go back and check it out. But the things I want to clarify, because I mean, there are times in it, I do feel like I came off as sort of like overly critical of it. But two things I think bothered me was like, number one, it's a gigantic info dump. It was a fun info dump, but it was an info dump. And number two, I feel like they toy around with the multiverse thing so much where it's like, okay, I you've been doing this since Endgame. We are now like four projects later, four or five projects later. We're still talking about the multiverse. You haven't delivered yet. So it's sort of like put up or shut for me. That's my take on it. Well, and I, you're right to feel that way. But I do think that that, that is the point of this is yeah. where we are going to address all the teasing that's gone on since Endgame. And um, I, I think that this is finally going to get us somewhere. Uh, you know, obviously, Wanda dealt with time in a different way um, and, you know, loss and trauma. Loki is now looking to find him, literally find himself while finding himself. Yes. I thought that that was kind of fun, right? You know, he's trying to figure out what is the purpose of his life while also figuring out what's going on with this other you know, alternate timeline. So they're playing with time. It's a dangerous game. You're right, but it better pay off. And I think it will. I think that they probably, if I had to guess of the three series that have come out so far, and these are the biggies, some of the other ones that we're going to get, you know, the what if and all the others, I feel like these are the, really the three that are, they're pushed out in front of us first. Um, I feel like this is the one that the biggest expectations we're going to be on. I would agree with that. I also had some fun with the fact that, you know what, there are so many points of that episode where the writer is saying, Hey, don't blame us for Endgame. It makes sense why they went back in time. And that whole line where Judge Renslayer is telling Loki, like, that was supposed to happen. It's sort of a shout out to all of us. Like, and in, out, there were still points in Endgame that didn't make sense. I mean, you can go back to the episode, talk about a few of them, but like, there right. were points that, like, when you watch the video and you see these things happening and you're sitting there, like, how does this make sense when Steve Rogers is going back in time living a whole second, second life? Isn't he a variant? That makes no sense to me. All of a sudden, they can just play with time, yep. right? Like, if you really look at it, I mean, and you're going to say, okay, after Infinity War, what are they going to do? Well, they, it's kind of a cop-out to just say, oh, we can go back in time now. Um, but they did, and that's part of what the comics, you know, had, had, there, there are certain elements that, unfortunately, you can't change. Yeah. So you, you might think that it's lame, but that's really what is part of this universe, and it's something that they're addressing. And has it been a slow burn? Absolutely. But um, if any character I want to watch deal with time and shape-shifting and and messing with our heads a little bit, you got to sit back and just enjoy this one because it's great acting. And and um, I feel like the plots uh, the plot will continue to move uh, us to set us up for these next few projects. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. I feel the most excited after this one after the first episode of WandaVision, I was just kind of like, what? Like, that's all they gave us. Uh, after Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I was kind of just like, okay, this is, they're going to just take it real slow again. Loki, I was just like, all right, I'm in. Let's do this. I am going to trust that you're going to get us somewhere. And, and I like where the idea here, we've got a cool character with a cool plot, move us along. And I'm, I have, Basically, the ball's up in the air. I have no idea if it's going to go through the hoop. So, 
Yeah, it makes some sense. I mean, I feel like this is going to be the spot where, and don't get me wrong, I, I like my watch. I had a lot of fun with it. Like I said, info dump, a very fun info dump. We had a lot of fun comedy, comedy moments in there, some good stuff going on. I think this will be the one where they finally do something with the multiverse, whether it's reveal it or set up a plot in motion, make yeah. it happen. I think the mutants are going to keep teasing out another two years before they actually give us an X-Men version. It is a little interesting to me, though, that, like, other characters, I mean, we're just learning about the, these ancient timekeepers and, um, you know, uh, that this this whole um, separate, uh, you know, organization that is just managing time. Uh, we've known about it if you've read the comics, but it's like, man, you know, Captain Marvel and some of these other folks like Steve Rogers and, you know, like they've never you know even even dr strange like people who literally are the keeper of the time stone like they've never known or mentioned or maybe we're missing a couple references here but like no one's ever talked about these ancient beings and and the organization that's meant to act in and on their behalf and it i mean maybe the, maybe i'm overthinking it too maybe we should both might just sit back and, and enjoy it and get back after and maybe really embrace it until the very end um i don't want to jump the, the gun a little bit like i did after the first episode episode of falcon and the winter soldier because there were some cool things in that series that i did enjoy i didn't love all of it but i did um you know after the first episode i was not sold and I, after the episode second and third when i was okay so um this one i'm more in but then again i'm also trying to temper my expectations yeah i think before we wrap it up here, I want to say your point was interesting about people who sh should have been aware of it. The one that jumped my mind was Thanos. Like, how is Thanos not aware of these people? I don't know. It's a really good question, especially with all the technology that Thanos's goons had and Squidward had, and you know, like <laughs> you'd think that they would have some understanding of uh, of you know these ancient beings and and the, the keeper of the timeline. But I think about Tilda Sweden's character and and you know. Um, you know, everything that Dr. Strange went through in their training, um, you know, the ancient being and, and you, I just don't understand why um, this has really been brought up or thought of or consulted or considered in any of their big conversations. So essentially you're telling us that at any given point, we could also figure out a way to get Tony Stark back alive and we could get, um, you know, Chris Evans again coming back as Captain America and we can combine all the Spider-Man. And I mean, you're basically opening up a big old can of worms here and you got to be careful. They're, they're, you know, they're playing with us right now. And I have no idea. You're going to leave a, a couple people, a couple people, many people potentially upset if you play with this and you push it too far, because then it's just going to no rules matter. Uh, you got to have some sort of grounding or else you're going to get people just really upset with the outcome. Yeah, for sure. Dan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Again, for people who missed our low-key podcast, it's in last week's episode. I will give that link out there. And I'm not doing it weekly, but I will talk about it again before the season's over. also want to give you a chance to plug your social media. If you want to follow you on Twitter, how can I do that? Sure. Out of town fan pod on Twitter. And, uh, you know, not too much going on these days, but I'm going to be, uh, I'll tweet a little bit during the U.S. Open and, um, you know, always, always happy to come back on and talk golf. And I know we'll talk again later this summer, but uh, everybody enjoy the tournament. And uh, really, this is a fun, fun year to watch the FedEx Cup playoffs because 
you know, right now it's, it's really anybody's game. No one has run away with the points and um, there's some really, really good courses coming up for the remainder of the year, a bunch of tournaments uh, in the next few weeks. This is really the heart of the summer. People are getting back out to watch the tournaments more and more regulations are starting to look like the, what was pre pandemic. And um, so if you've got a tournament coming to your area, hopefully you can get out and enjoy it. And we've got travelers, John Deere, rocket mortgage, all coming up in the next few weeks. So some, some real classics on the tour here and um, you know, some great markets for golf in the summertime. So hopefully if you're not getting out to play, you can get out and watch. So enjoy it. All right, Dan, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. See you later. The two minute drill. All right. Two minute drill time. Time to catch you up. What's going on over at Roland Garros in France and a couple of things. The French Open need to take away from. First, the on-the-court stuff. Women's side was an upset fest. Got to credit to Barbara Krejcikova, who wins her first ever Grand Slam. Goes to a gauntlet of ranked opponents to get into the final and pull a nice win there. Mostly known for her double skills. Good job on her for her getting into the Grand Slam winner column. And the French always needs the place where the women's side seems to have their breakthroughs. Six years, six first-time winners at the French Open dating back to 2016. So interesting trend there. The men's side, Novak Djokovic took a huge step forward in his GOAT pursuit, uh, trying to become the greatest of all time. Wins an epic semifinal against Rafa Nadal, the king of clay in the semifinals. Goes four sets, brutally, physically competitive match. Outlast Rafa on his preferred surface. And then you're left sitting there going, was he left in the tank for the match on Sunday? the final against Stefano Tsitsipas. And it, re- it looked early, like there might not be much left. Tsitsipas jumps out to a two sets and none lead. Novak has never come back from one of those. You're thinking, okay, so three years at four at this point. But Novak Djokovic comes back, storms back to win the last three sets really easily, mind you. And now wins his second French Open title, his second straight Grand Slam, and make some history here. He now has 19 Grand Slams, one behind Federer and Nadal in the race for most Grand Slam titles of all time. He is the first man since Rod Laver to win each Grand Slam tournament twice, which is a remarkable achievement. That is just simply unheard of. It's hard enough to win each of these things once, let alone twice, and he's done that. He has a chance for history this year because... He has a chance to win the calendar year slam. He's still going to be heavily favored going into Wimbledon in a couple of weeks, going into the U.S. Open in, in August. And the other thing here, this is Olympic year. Noah could have a chance to pull off the super rare Golden Slam where he could win all four Grand Slams and the gold medal at the Olympics. That has only been done once by a singles player in history. It was Steffi Graf on the women's side in 1988. If Novak pulls this off, he would be on top of the Grand Slam charts with 21 by the end of the season, have a gold medal in his name, and do something that only Stephanie Graham has ever done. The argument is there. We're in the process of watching some history be made, so keep an eye on that. The problem here is the bigger story about the French Open is the off-court in- in situation with Naomi Osaka, who prior to the tournament made a big deal about how I don't want to do press conferences, I'm concerned mental health, at the end of the day, the French ends up saying, hey, 
You're fined 15 grand after the first round. You skip your press conferences. You do this again. We're going to pull you from the tournament. Naomi Osaka says, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm, I care more about my mental health than winning this tournament. And she withdraws. And that threat was not just in the French alone. All four slams try to put pressure on Osaka to go show up to the press conferences. It's a very unfortunate situation because Osaka was forced to make a choice between my mental health or winning the French Open, which she's not done yet, by the way. She chose her mental health, which is a good thing to decide because mental health often is not acknowledged in sports. People don't realize how important mental health is for athletes. And there's something we said about that press conference where you're sitting there by yourself in front of a microphone with a room of reporters or you have a queue of Zoom reporters waiting to ask you questions. It can be overwhelming. The, the big problem here is that Osaka is not the only one that loses. Tennis and tennis fans lose here by doing this situation. The majors here have to realize, you know what? Naomi Osaka is one of our biggest draws. Instead of working with Osaka and pulling her to the side, have a meeting and say, hey, we understand you have some concerns. Is there another way we can work with you so you can accommodate your media obligations that are outside the traditional press conference format? Instead of doing that, they said, do it our way or go home. And she went home. I love tennis, but I am in the clear minority of this country. People here do not care enough about this sport unless there are stars playing. Where it's been Serena Williams, Venus Williams, Maria Sharapova, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic. If the stars are not there, the Americans do not care. Osaka right now is going to be the biggest star in the women's tour when Serena retires next few years. So you make the argument she already is. Tennis as a whole has a problem here with this whole elitist country club, get off my lawn, you don't belong here, let me sip my Chardonnay as I watch the matches play sort of mentality. You want to appeal to casual, everyday sports fans? Don't chase your biggest stars off of media obligations. Tennis needs Amway Osaka more than she needs tennis. The tour needs her more than she needs a tour. It's a star-driven sport. No offense to Barbara Krejcikova or whoever else can emerge win a slam here. NBC had to be disappointed with the radio they got out of that Saturday French Open final in the morning for the women's side because there was no storyline. Only the diehards of diehard tennis fans had any inkling who either player in that final was. You need a story here. Stars create stories. Don't piss off your stars over the media. That is extremely stupid. The power should be should be trying to make tennis more accessible to the common fan and trying to promote their stars, saying, look at all the stuff Naomi Osaka can do on the court. Look what happens when Novak Djokovic is on the court. Look what happens to Stefano Tsitsipas. He could be the guy who takes down Novak Djokovic. All of these things would make more sense. But tennis is stuck in its ways right now, and that's a problem. And that's why this sport does not get enough mainstream coverage. With that, I'm going to do it for this week's show. I want to thank, I guess, Dandy Martini for hopping on the line to talk all about the U.S. Open golf. It's going to be a lot of fun this week at Tory Finals. See who comes out on top there. It'll be a hell of a story, though, if Phil completes the Grand Slam by winning over there. I know it's not likely, but it will be fun. We're going to stuff like this podcast, including 
my look at who the Mets and Yankees could send to the All-Star game this year. Don't forget, it's only about a month away at this point, which is pretty crazy. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. Go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering Your Favorite Podcast platform. You'll find all episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star rates as well. It'll make the podcast even better going forward. You can also follow my YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. My chat with Dan about the U.S. Open is up there, along with video segments on all our previous podcasts. You can check those out on there. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that will do for this week's podcast. Coming next, got a few things in the works. Not sure which one we're going to get to you first, so keep you teased a little bit. There's something coming soon. We're sure about that. I totally hope you have a better week than the Yankee fans did. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.